Hello, everybody. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And we're the Old Dogs. In this episode, the Old Dogs ramble about when we think it might be time to retire. That leads us to our first pod nugget, when is a surgeon too old to operate? We have a little item on stretching the truth in advertising. We clue you in on a scientific report that maybe it's better to walk barefoot. We caution you that the next time you have your dinner delivered, you may want to find out if they've sampled it. And finally, we take a look at the new, or maybe not so new, phenomenon of intensive grandparenting. Our guest for the Old Dogs interview is Robert Flatt, an engineer whose retirement due to Parkinson's disease opened him up to a new and rewarding career as a photographer and author. Stay with us. Paul? Yo. What is on your mind? Well, you know, we have a lead pod nugget about when surgeons get too old to perform surgery. And that started me thinking about my own uh, medical professionals that I deal with. My GP has been my GP since 1977. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so that connection is there. We understand each other. Uh, he has my history. And, you know, I, I'll tell you, we... I wouldn't blame him for wanting to retire at some point, but that means I will, you know, probably in my dotage be switching physicians, and I would prefer not to do that. Well, Lord knows you need somebody who understands you, Paul. (laughs) That's true. Can't count on our spouses. Yeah, so I had a similar situation with my endocrinologist, who was my age, and I actually asked him one time, You're not planning on retiring anytime soon, are you? Because I trusted him. He knew me. But eventually I knew he was going to have to retire, and he did. What concerns me more, though, is, as as it states in the article, people that have special mechanical skills in the medical profession, surgeons who have to perform delicate operations, and many of these surgeons are in their 80s. And I don't know that I want to trust these people, and yet... They don't seem to be anxious to retire. So to you, what would a sign be that a surgeon uh, is not to be trusted? Uh, Well, if they have a a shaky (laughs) signature, (laughs) that might be a clue. Yeah. If they forget my name. Well, and and, you know, there are probably other skill professions outside uh, the medical field where where there's a similar concern that people are too old. Any occupation that requires physical dexterity or good vision. For example, I was a professional musician, and I played professionally for quite a long time. And I found that at a certain point, I could not rely on my performance ability anymore because my hands wouldn't do what they needed to do. Oh, well, and I guess a a parallel for me would be uh, I spent a great deal of my life as a performer. Uh, Right, right. And and that requires a certain amount of physical movement, Mm -hmm. a certain amount of energy on stage. And as you get older, you lose that. So honestly, you have to be candid about whether or not you can physically perform a certain role. Oh, yeah. Memorizing scripts, for example. Memorizing is a real challenge for me. So do we have the honesty? Do we have the integrity to be able to say, okay, I need to stop doing what I've been doing? Uh, Or is it something that we hold on to? We're stubborn about it. I think the tendency is to be stubborn about it until maybe there is a real uh, embarrassing moment when your shortcomings are obvious. 
But, but yeah, nobody wants to say I'm getting old and I'm not as uh, as acute as I used to be. Well, I think you're cute, frankly. <laughs> and I'll make you a deal, Paul. Uh, after our little uh, ramble is over, I'll share a couple of opinions with you about what you need to stop doing. And I'll do my best to remember them. <laughs> How's that? <laughs> Hey, here's a tough question. When is your surgeon too old to operate? This nugget comes to us from the New York Times for February 1st, 2019. In a recent survey, more than 122,000 physicians 65 or older were still practicing. As we age, our manual dexterity and stamina decline. Surgery is intricate work and can last for hours. The American College of Surgeons has recommended physical, visual, and neurocognitive testing for older surgeons, ah, but on a voluntary basis. Only a handful of hospitals have mandatory screening procedures for older medical professionals. For the most part, we rely on surgeons to self-evaluate their competence in the operating room. However, Research indicates that older surgeons do a poor job of judging their own competence. As one doctor put it, we're sort of a fraternity of highly regarded professionals, and we highly regard ourselves. A mandatory retirement age isn't the answer, since many surgeons remain sharp and skilled into their 70s and beyond. However, mandatory physical and cognitive testing after the age of 70 for all medical professionals makes sense, considering the risks involved. It's understandable that older surgeons would push back on efforts to measure their competence, right? Becoming a surgeon is a long and difficult process. But if their skills have declined, surgeons can transition into research, teaching, and mentoring. Hospitals could still access their knowledge. This is a difficult subject because most of us seniors have had to evaluate our skills as we age. In some cases, we decide to stay in an occupation we love. In other cases, we see the need to transition into other interests that are a better match for where we are physically and mentally. Yeah, I'm talking about you, Jim. Well, I was thinking of maybe auto mechanics or... <laughs> An 11-year-old in Salt Lake City found a way to increase business to his root beer stand, even if it was slightly deceptive. This pod nugget is from the Houston Chronicle E-Edition for July 20th, 2019. Seth Parker's parents had recently moved to Salt Lake City from Georgia. They encouraged Seth to get out more and make new friends. His response was to open a variation on a lemonade stand that featured his favorite drink, root beer. Now, to advertise his stand, he created a poster that read, Ice Cold Root Beer, except the word root was in very small letters. So passersby saw a sign that read, Ice Cold Beer, being hawked by a youngster. Of course, the police stopped by, who quickly saw the humor. Fortunately, they helped Seth by posting pictures on Facebook. For the most part, everyone enjoyed the joke, and business increased to 60 customers a day. Even Senator Mitt Romney appreciated the marketing ploy. He tweeted a picture of Seth with the comment, A lesson in reading the fine print. The future is bright for this young Utah entrepreneur. Here's a bit of shocking research. People who walk barefoot have calluses. No. This item was reported by the New York Times for July 17th, 2019. Okay, first, let's establish 
We believe in science and research. Oh, absolutely. Yep. There are many subjects worth researching, such as extending the quality of life, curing Alzheimer's, or designing the perfect recliner. I'm with you on that. But I'm still looking for it, by the way. But I'm not sure that comparing walking barefoot to walking with shoes is in my top 10 or even top 1,000. For this study, researchers traveled to Kenya, the home of many barefoot long-distance runners. They compared the feet of people who wore shoes to the feet of people who didn't. Their first observation was that the shoeless had calluses 25% thicker than people who wore shoes. Uh, Okay, what's the point? Well, walking barefoot, you have a better feel for the ground, which could improve your balance. And walking with shoes alters our stride, so that the impact of walking may be more... Well, impactful on our joints. So the message of this study is, if you are concerned about your balance or your joints, you might consider walking barefoot more. Okay, I'm considering it now. I considered it, okay. I do walk barefoot in my home occasionally, but I would never walk barefoot on city streets. Not unless the concrete was power washed and disinfected first. (laughs) So I can see this research was thought-provoking, if only for a few seconds. Have you ever tried to tippy-toe around all the gum spots? No, or the (laughs) doggy-doo. Paul, one of the pleasures of living in this modern age is being able to get your food delivered to your home. Or just getting your food. (laughs) (laughs) So food delivery apps are becoming popular. But check the delivery person for signs of eating recently, okay? This nugget is from the Houston Chronicle, dated July 29, 2019. The average person has at least two food delivery apps and uses them about three times a month. And why not? There are days when you don't want to cook or go to a restaurant. Well, here's a why not. More than 50% of food deliverers say they have been tempted by the smell of the food they're delivering. But 28% say they have actually taken food from an order as they are delivering it. Short of checking your food for bite marks or missing (laughs) portions, there's not a lot you can do. Perhaps the stolen bites are connected to the fact that 60% of food deliverers are constantly irritated by bad tips. And this is a different form of compensation. So you open that pizza box and there's a wedge missing. Isn't that a clue? That's better than teeth marks on your wedge, (laughs) isn't it? It's called intensive grandparenting, and the chances are that label fits you or someone you know. This item comes to us from the New York Times for July 23rd, 2019. Now, this is a byproduct of two career families with young children and limited child care options. This creates a situation where the grandparents step in to provide regular child care and often other household tasks for their grandchildren. Sociologists have a name for this extended family contribution, intensive grandparenting. Now, this isn't defined by a number of hours, but rather by a commitment to regular child care and often transport to various lessons, practices, and meetings. One set of grandparents in California jokingly refer to themselves as Grandma Lyft and Grandpa Uber, with just a hint of sarcasm. So how widespread is this phenomenon? A recent study suggests that half of young children, a third of elementary students, and 20% of teenagers spend at least some time with grandparents in a typical week. While it's gratifying to have a role in raising your grandchildren, it can be exhausting in your 60s and 70s. 
It may also interfere with the financial security of the grandparents who have to cut back on their own work to fulfill their family commitments. This increased role for grandparents is, in a sense, a throwback to the extended families of previous centuries, where it was normal for three generations to live under one roof, and the children could benefit from the knowledge and experience of their parents and their parents' parents. Well, maybe it's not such a bad thing. If you're one who doesn't quite buy the notion that when life hands you lemons, you make lemonade, Robert Flatt will change your mind. Robert was a successful engineer until the onset of Parkinson's disease forced him out of his job, but not out of action. Robert decided to use his newly enforced leisure to learn photography, which he did so well that now he shows his nature photography in a variety of venues. His experience inspired him to write a couple of books. And we hope that it will inspire you too. An article in the Houston Chronicle mentioned that you're on your third career, Robert. You were an engineer in the petroleum industry, then an adjunct professor at Rice University, and now a writer and a nature photographer. So tell us, where did this uh, photography career come from? Uh, Paul, it was um, I discovered I had Parkinson's disease in 1999. Sort of my crazy passion to become a photographer when I retired. In 2004, I enjoy using my camera and Photoshop to paint pictures of birds flying and bees buzzing and dragonflies basking in the sun with highly saturated pictures with vibrant, surrealistic backgrounds. In my, in my class, in my photography class, they call me Mr. Saturation. <laughs> <laughs> and is it true that you enjoy traveling in order to find these places to photograph? Yeah, my wife and I love to travel to wild and beautiful places. Before I had the Parkinson's, we, we backpacked. We accelerated our travel schedule when due to my Parkinson's disease. These helped me slow down to see the beauty of the world and giving me the urgency to hurry up and capture so as much as I can photographically while I still can. Uh, let's talk about your first book. It's titled Healing Art, Don't Let Anything Ruin Your Day. So, uh, how did that book come about, Robert? Uh, it's actually my second book. The first one I wrote was with Isis Owls, a story about a pair of great horned owls raising two chicks on the Rice University campus in 2010. Also talks about the uh, owl at the mascot for Rice University. I, I think the reason they came was that they were the Rice Owls, so they're pretty smart. <laughs> they, um, we, 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 we read Harry Potter, and they uh, they came to, to deliver the uh, the uh, invitations for the, uh, the the centennial celebration we had in 2012. But I'm not talking to anybody else into that theory. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he 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 arts a pictorial study of my battle over the last 20 years with Parkinson's disease by becoming a photographer. Each image tries to capture a moment of being intensely alive. Person with Parkinson's disease can pick up the book from time to time and get inspired, both from the beauty of the photographs and from the reading, reading the stories, the vignettes and battle plans, the thoughts I have about coping with Parkinson's disease. First, I uh, had the opportunity to put up a display of my pictures in the Baylor College of Medicine Neurology Department, uh, and those pictures formed the basics for the for the book. Oh, great. So we're going to talk about those pictures in a moment. Um, the subtitle of this book is Don't 
let anything ruin your day. Really? You mean anything? How, <laughs> how do you do that? How do you avoid letting anything ruin your day? We, we can't change the fact that we have, have Parkinson's disease. We can by God not let it ruin today. Maybe tomorrow, but not today. If we can focus on an image of beauty today, we have not let our challenge define us. For another day, we have lived fully and open to the presence of joy. I believe that life is good, that beauty is all around us, but we have to look for it. We need to live as much as possible in the present, and the time is precious. Francis Bacon once said, do what you want to do now. You're not living in eternity. All there is is this moment, sparkling in our hands like a star, and melting like a snowflake. There's a picture in the book of a hawk sitting on a fallen tree in the morning after Hurricane Ike passed through Houston. He was soaked, water soaked, and bedraggled. As I walked up to him, take a photograph, he scowled back at me and with a tense gleam in his eye. He was intensely alive and he was not going to let anything talk or anybody else ruin his day. He'd already had a pretty bad night. <laughs> That's a very intense photograph. Now, you received the 2016 Nautilus Gold Award in the category of Art and Photography for Healing Art. What did that award mean to you? The award means that I no longer have to be, pretend to be an engineer or a businessman. I'm now a writer and I'm an artist. Part of the disease gave me the gift of time to make this happen. Time to learn photography at Rice University, to travel the world, in my own backyard looking for beautiful things to photograph. Found them everywhere I went, but I had to have to stop and take the time to, to, to stop and then, then look, look at them. You refer to people suffering from Parkinson's as ugly ducklings. <laughs> Can you explain that? I call us ugly ducklings not to make fun of us, but simply to admit that we are different. We are slow, and we sometimes talk funny. We sometimes slobber a bit. <laughs> we always remember that we still have our minds intact. We recently learned that the levodopa we're taking often increases our creative abilities. We may become swans one day. So we actually find a, a side benefit from the uh, uh, medication you use to control Parkinson's. Is that right? That's correct. They found that levodopa seems to help people with their creativity. A lot, a lot of people with taking levodopa to start doing painting and all kinds of uh, more creative things. And photography, apparently. Yeah, yes, apparently. <laughs> and I, I found out I've got a skill for photography. I, I've, got, I've got some talent that I didn't know I had. It's never too late to change your major. Really, that's true. And your photographs are simply amazing. They are both skillful and artistic. They really show the eye that you have, not only for a beautiful image, but for the subject itself. And that's what fascinates me about the photographs you take. Can you talk about how you choose a subject and then how you perhaps wait for, like uh, what Cartier-Bresson called the decisive moment? How do you go about setting up a photograph, uh, choosing your subject, setting up just the right moment to take it? I believe I'm a firm believer in serendipity. 
the um, I remember one time I said the one the picture that that uh, featured pictures in in an in, in exhibit was a picture of a grackle flying through the um, red red salvia plant you know, over by on Rice campus. I um, I took the picture. You wouldn't go out to take a picture of a, of a grackle. I just took it for for fun. I was practicing shooting birds. It turned out to be a beautiful photograph. But that's what photography is about. It's 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 in your heart, not not your brain. It's not, not a rational process. It's, yeah, I believe that every pair of 15,000 shots you shoot, the photo gods take over. So there are photo gods? Yeah, there are. There are. I really believe that. They, I took a picture of a, a girl in the North, North Sea, and it was um, by, by the water, and the, the, the waves were splashing. took a picture, and, it, and the photo gods took it over. They, they lined it up. They had the, the bird exactly at the tree. They, the water turned a teal green color for, for two clicks of the camera. It's just a time it's kind of a muddy gray color, but for two clicks of the camera, it turned really, 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 really teal color. And they explained that one to me. Huh. You, you, you shoot, shoot pictures with, you, with your heart. It's like the guy that uh, wrote the book, Zen and the Art of Archery. You become one, one with a target. You become one with your pictures you're taking. Robert, our audience are all boomers, as Jim and I are boomers, as you are a boomer. Uh, do you have any advice you want to share with our generation about living in the moment? Yeah, well, eventually you'll all have bodies like mine. Do not work very well. Eventually you'll no longer be able to do your current job. It'll give you a marvelous gift, the gift of time. You just squander this time by sitting around feeling sorry for yourself. You find something interesting to do, whatever physical ability you have left. Well, that's advice I think that most of us could use, and I think that that's kind of the purpose of our podcast is to motivate people, inspire people uh, to never settle for being over, to being done. And I think that your career has proved that, and it's wonderful to, to think that you're continuing to prove that. The pictures are gorgeous. Uh, your thoughts are not only thoughtful, but uh, I think relevant to all of us. And I really appreciate the fact that you're willing to share what you have experienced. You know, Robert, I love your idea of a gift of time. And I'm going to try that on my wife. The next time I'm lying around uh, watching a baseball game on TV and she says, aren't you going to do anything? I'll say, wait a second, I'm appreciating my gift of time. I'll let you know how it works out. <laughs> So anybody out there listening would like to learn more about Robert Flatt or you'd like to order one of his books, please visit his website at www.robertflatt.com. Thank you, Robert, for spending time with us this morning. Uh, great interview. I appreciate it. Well, it looks like we made it through another episode. If you enjoyed it, let us know. Or if you know somebody who'd be fun to interview, tell us about them. You can reach us at our website, olddogspodcast.com. And hey, keep on howling at the moon. <laughs>